Do you ever find yourself having those moments where you're talking and it just feels like the words coming out of your mouth are not at all what you meant to say? Now that can be for all sorts of reasons and it can happen in all sorts of different ways, whether it's maybe something that you shouldn't say slips out or perhaps you say something that's critical and you, you, you don't want to say it out loud, but you're just so fired up about it that it just comes on out. Or maybe it's that you find yourself with those moments where your brain is just working at a thousand miles an hour, but your mouth is only working at about 10. In all of those different cases, for all of us, we have these times and these places where we say things that we just wish we could reach out and grab and bring them back and stuff them in our mouths. I know I have those moments far more often than I would like to admit, probably. But the danger with that type of speech is it's not that it just happens once in a while. It's not that we do something that's embarrassing for us, but it's actually something that can cause harm to others. And it can actually be something that ends up being terrible for our character. Last week, we started Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and today we're continuing on in that chapter by looking at verses 12 to 20. But at the beginning of the chapter, we got this picture of having a bottle of perfume, of ointment, and inside of it is a dead fly. And that dead fly, even though it's so little, can end up ruining the whole jar. In the same way, our words, even just one little one, can end up having such destructive impact. Today, as we continue on looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we see that the teacher in Ecclesiastes continues to paint a picture of what a fool looks like. And as we look at this portrait of a fool, I hope that today we will be able to examine what the teacher says about the fool's words. And then we'll be able to look at ourselves in a mirror and hopefully not see a self-portrait, but see some elements that we can learn from, that we can allow to, to change us from the inside out so that we can be better and better representatives of Jesus. Jesus was known as a man with incredible grace and kindness. In Luke chapter 4, we see that people loved and spoke highly of Jesus because of his gracious words to all of them. My hope is that we can do the same. So let's take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 12 to 20. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. But fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. And fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. 
Through laziness the rafters sag, because of idle hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. We see that there's a lot crammed into these nine short verses The teacher speaks about our words, about how to live with wisdom or foolishness in leadership and why it is important to work wisely. Now, we don't have all the time to cover all of that in this message today. And so what I'd encourage you to do is to take some time this week and just go through the verses that we don't have as much time to touch on today. And each day, just take one of those statements and consider What does the fool look like? But not for the purpose of just analyzing that, but so that it can be the mirror for you to learn how to live with more and more wisdom. But today, because of some of the stuff that frames these verses, I want to focus on this idea of speech. And why I want to focus on on those in particular is because of the, the situation of what's going on in our world and in our lives. I know that there is just a, a growing sense of contention and divisiveness in the world. And so much of what causes that is the words we say. Now, if we think about it, why this division and, and contention is happening because of our words is because of what's going on inside of us. Right now, we are all facing a constant rate of change that we're not used to. We're seeing that there's decisions put before us that we have to make that are incredibly difficult. Decisions about work and family and do I send my kids to school or not in in September? How how are we going to navigate some family gatherings and all sorts of things that we did not consider before? Added to that, we've had and seen many topics that have needed to rise to the surface in what's going on in our world. But as we have done that under the pressure, the the mental and emotional, intellectual drain that we've had on us, many of us have spoken from places that we shouldn't. Or maybe we've just spoken in a way that was unkind and ungracious. And so I think it is incredibly important for us right now to hear these words of the teacher because we don't want to say things that would cause harm to others, to God, or ourselves. As we look at this topic, I want to invite you into a place where we also understand that that none of us are perfect. This isn't something that any one person has fully under control. James, the brother of Jesus, once said, it takes a perfect man to fully control their tongue. This is something that is common to us all, and so I'd invite you. This isn't a place to be defensive. This isn't something that I'm going to come at you with, and and, and I'm not saying these things and, and using this language of a fool to call you a fool or me a fool, but instead that we could learn to live wisely, that we could learn to live out of from a place 
that is centered in who God is to bring him glory, honor, and praise. And I want you to know that as I share this with you today, these are things that are so true of my life. Now, I speak for a living. I talk all the time. If you know my family and friends, they will tell you that I'm always thinking and talking about a variety of different things. And so because of that, I have learned many of the lessons that are contained within this message. If you talk to my mom, you you would hear a story about when I was first born, I was quiet for the first three weeks. And she had some concerns about me. Am I developing properly? All that sort of thing. But then in the third week, I started to vocalize and she celebrated until she realized that I would never stop talking from that moment forward. But in all seriousness, this is something that I have had to wrestle through. And I am so thankful to God that he has been working on this in my life for a long number of years. And it's been painful at times, but God has been gracious and kind. He has been working in my heart to to carve out some of the things that I need to let go of to to make room for the love and grace that he would plant in my heart so I could speak with kindness, with gentleness, that I could even lead our church with some tact and grace through things. God has also been good to me in giving me family and friends who call me out in this area, who help and encourage me to go somewhere that I need to go in my growth of being a disciple of Jesus. And so as I share these things, as I ask you throughout this message, have you been a fool in this area? Know that you are not alone and know that God can do incredible things to change who you are, how you are, so that you would be more wise and more like Jesus. So let's start at this, of looking at this section on speech with verse 12, where the teacher says, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. So as much as the teacher is going to give us this picture of a pool, of a fool, he's going to start off with this idea that if we are wise, we're speaking with kindness and grace. Wise people, people who follow after what God wants. That's where the teacher in Ecclesiastes is ultimately bringing us towards the end of this book. Wise people speak with grace. We speak in ways that build people up instead of tearing people down. Now, as I think of that, as I think of that being the way that is wisdom in speech, I think about the conversations I have and that I hear, and so much of conversation then isn't wise. Because it's not about being gracious, it's not about being kind and loving and building others up. Most speech I hear is self it's selfish, it's self-absorbed, it's about making ourselves better, not other people. It's maybe about padding our insecurities that we have. When I think about the conversations that I hear so often, it's somebody busting a joke for attention or it's putting someone else down so that we look better. And what scripture is teaching us here is that this is a problem. We're acting unwise. 
But what's the source of this wisdom? What's the source of the foolishness that we're going to encounter? Well, if we remember back to the beginning of the chapter, right at the top of chapter 10, we read that the wise heart inclines us to do the right thing. One thing we're going to see all as we walk through this chapter in the next is that it is from our heart that our wisdom or folly flows. And this is something that's not just found here in Ecclesiastes, it's found all throughout Scripture. God continually reminds us in his word that our heart is the source of our behavior and our speech. Jesus was very clear about this. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, we read that Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If we want to speak with wisdom, if we want to be gracious, if we want to be kind, we need to tend to our hearts. In a few moments, we're going to get there and discuss how do we tend to our heart? How do we care for making sure we have wise words? But before we get there, we get this picture of what it looks like to be foolish. What does an untended to heart look like? And hopefully as we look at that, we'll see the places where maybe we need to work on tending to our heart to bring out more wisdom. And we'll see that in verses 12 to 14. And again in verse 20. And we'll even see some of the consequences along the way. So let's read verses 12 to 14. But fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning their words are folly. At the end they are wicked madness. And fools multiply words. So here the teacher gives us three different things that are examples of foolish speak. And verse 20 we'll see is a bit of an addition, a bit of a bringing back to one of these. But the three things that we see is that uh, our words are things that consume us. We we speak in a self-destructive way. Then we see that our words start off maybe even just as something that's silly and simple, but in a way that leads us down a path towards evil. And fools also babble. We see that in verse 14. But let's begin with the teachers showing us that our words are self-destructive in verse 12. It says, the fools are consumed by their own lips. So as wise words are gracious, fools' words destroy. Foolish words get us in trouble all the time. We know this. You know this. I know this. We've all spoken words where it's maybe even just a simple sentence, but it has the power to go off like a bomb in a relationship. We can say something, whether it's critical or harsh, whether it was just spoken out of an emotional place that goes on to destroy years of good relationship. There's times when we can speak a simple word that is just a secret that we were supposed to keep and it goes on and sabotages our trust with not just that individual, but with many others. Foolish words don't just get us in trouble with other people, though they wreck what's going on inside of us. You can probably think of tons of times where you have spoken foolishly or where others have spoken foolishly and it's gone on to consume good things within your lives. Verse 20 is a very specific example of this. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. 
Here we're speaking in a, in a context where the teacher's talking about the king who, who lives and, and they are the one who gets criticized. And actually, in the time this was written, kings were very paranoid about this because insurrection was common and Sometimes kings would even send out messengers or they'd go out themselves, cloak like, pleasant, like peasants, to, to hear what the commoners were saying. And then what would happen is the news would get back to the king or the queen and it would end up causing havoc in that person's life because they would become punished. They would be haunted for the words they said. Now, we, of course, don't live with kings and queens here in Canada, but every single one of us has people in authority and power who have more than us. It says here in the scripture, uh, don't curse the, the rich in your bedroom. You know, we have these people, and even within the closed doors, even with just someone that we are close with, as we share the things that, that, that irk us or that we don't like or we, you know, kind of attack at somebody, those things can get out and they can, they can cause some pain to come back on ourselves, but they can also just destroy the character, the image that others have of us because they go, hey, this person's always talking negatively. Hey, this person's always sp speaking in a way that, that's critical of others. Do they say those types of things about me? The words we say are so powerful that they can consume all that is good within our lives. So watch your words. Sooner or later, what you say may be repeated on down the line. I like to think about that. That's something that I have tried to formulate and, and, and be a part of my life is that whatever I say, is it something that I would say to that person's face? And if it is, I can say it. If it's not, maybe I shouldn't say it because that will bring about self-destruction. But not only are our foolish words self-destructive, but they're, they're not, it's not just this all scripture. It's not just about us. It's not just about, well, making ourselves look good and, and making ourselves feel good and not wrecking what's going on good in our lives. It's also about our relationship with God because this scripture tells us that our foolish words are actually evil things. In verse 13, we read, at the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. There's this picture that sometimes our, our, our words can start out and they're just simple little things and they're maybe foolish or silly or it's just a little white lie, but those things can end up descending on down and leading us to a place that is downright evil, a place that is spiritually destructive. These things are things that, that may seem small on the surface, but actually drive a wedge in our relationship between us and God. Things don't just start bad and get worse, but they truly are wicked madness. We know these things. We've seen them within our own lives. Have you ever told a little white lie? And then someone asks a question, then another question, then another question, and quickly it starts to build momentum and it gets out of control and that little white lie builds into this huge thing and it's just got so much momentum behind it that you can't stop it and it ends up just taking you down a road you do not want to go. <clears throat> you might also be able to think of places where you have spoken an unkind word or maybe someone's spoken an unkind word to you that is gone about creating a rumor that is very destructive. 
As I was looking and studying for this passage this week, I came across a story of a gentleman who ran a uh, store in the, the late 70s, early 80s in the U.S., and a rumor destroyed him and his livelihood. Now, this was a great guy. He was a great shopkeeper who was involved in the community, and he gave money uh, to help local initiatives, and he gave discounts to help families in need, and he really just loved his community well. But, but what had happened was he had started out as a, a quite large gentleman, and he got bad news from his doctor, which, which caused him to totally radically change his life, and he lost a ton of weight really quickly. <clears throat> But while this happened, there was somebody who was observing him who was quite concerned about the AIDS, uh, the issue of AIDS in their community. And so he saw this man who lost all this weight and said, hey, that guy's got AIDS. Don't go to that store. That, that guy lives an immoral life. And you know what happened is slowly people in the town started boycotting that store. People started spreading the rumor that happened. And, and, and that man, he could not recover from it. At first he went and he tried to talk to people. No, I don't. Like, this is my story. I just needed to lose the weight because of health and, and these sort of things. And people just didn't believe him. So what he did is he went and he got a blood test that showed that he, ha he didn't have AIDS and he put it up in his shop window. He taped it up so other people could see, look at my, my results. People didn't listen. He pleaded with the community, please don't do this because what is happening is, is I can't not only just fund my own family, but I can't benefit all these people in our community who are in need. You, you got to listen to me. And people didn't listen because one harsh word cascaded to a place where eventually this man's livelihood was destroyed. It impacted the whole community in a, that was in need in, in a very negative way, and he had to move out of town to escape the bad name that he never deserved. While you might never have experienced that or seen it firsthand, maybe you've never caused that kind of destruction, I say that to illustrate the harshness, the depravity, the wickedness that can come from foolish speech. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 16 and 19, there's a list. And that list is of the things that God detests. And on that list, it's a short list, there's seven things on it. But out of those seven, three of them have to do with foolish speech. In Proverbs, we read that God hates a lying tongue, someone who bears false witness, and someone who uses their words to stir up conflict. God hates those things. They are evil, vile things, but so often we allow them to run rampant in our lives, not just at the expense of ourselves, not just at the expense of others, but at the expense, if we're followers of Jesus, of the kingdom of God and of God getting all the glory, honor, and praise he deserves because we destroy it all with our words. If you, like me, have ever been guilty of these things, we need to come to a place where we repent, where we come before God and we ask him for his forgiveness because we need more of that graciousness that he extends to us. 
The incredible good news about who God is is that he loves us, though, in spite of how we act, in spite of these foolish things we do, which he clearly tells us are things that he detests. He still loves us. He still sent his son Jesus to die for us. He still had Jesus resurrect. He still gives us his Holy Spirit, all because he continues to show what it looks like to live wisely and graciously, because that is who he is. And so the question then is, as followers of Jesus, if we are supposed to be more like him, if these are things that God detests, how do we work towards becoming more and more like Jesus? If, if Jesus, like we see in uh, Luke chapter 4, was known and celebrated for his graciousness, how do we become more like that? How do we continue to grow our character so we can do more for expanding the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing we have to do is start by evaluating ourselves. We have to start by getting uncomfortable and recognizing the fact that there is stuff in our lives that goes against what God wants for us. We have places where our speech comes out of the disturbed, twisted nature of things within our heart, and we have to see that. We have to identify it, and we have to tear it out. So how do we do that? Well, we start with a self-evaluation. One of the, the best uh, examples for a practical guide of this is Paul Tripp in his book, The War of Words. He provides this counsel for evaluating our speech and our behavior. He says, listen to the talk that goes on in your home. How much of it is impatient and unkind? How often are words spoken out of selfishness and personal desire? How easily do outbursts of anger occur? How often do we bring up past wrongs? How do we fail to communicate hope? How do we fail to protect? How do our words carry threats that we have had it and are about to quit? Stop and listen. And you will see how much we need to hold our talk to this standard of love and how often the truth we profess to speak has been distorted by our sin. We need to stop and listen to the words that come out of our mouths. I heard somebody, uh, I think it was in relation to this book, they decided, I'm going to write down everything I say for a day and see what comes out of my mouth. Maybe you don't have that discipline. Maybe the idea of evaluating everything is going to be difficult for you. Well, invite those that God has put into your lives to evaluate what is going on, what is coming out of your mouth with you. If you've got a spouse, a close friend, a close family member, ask them. If they're close to you, they can probably give you an answer right away. Hey, here is what is going on. Here's what's coming out of your mouth. Here's what concerns me. I've done this in small bits. It, it's painful. It hurts. People are going to tell you things that are coming out of your mouth that you're just like, you want to get mad at them. You, you're just like, hey, you can't say that about me. Well, the thing is, they're just giving you the image they're, they're holding up the mirror to reflect back at you. Instead of responding to them, because that's what you're going to want to do, I'd encourage you just take note of what they are saying and then turn it over to God. 
bring it to him. Invite the Holy Spirit to begin addressing those things, showing you where the truth of what is being spoken is going on in your life. Look for the source of where that it lies within your heart so that you can begin to carve it out, which will be a painful process. But as you do that, allow, fill yourself up with the love and grace of God that he wants to bring to you so that your heart, so that your words can overflow with kindness and graciousness, just like Jesus. If Jesus is our model, if he's what we are aspiring to be, he is the all-wise one. He lived his life in a way that he wasn't just a savior, but he's a model, he's example for us, then we need to spend time with him. We need to spend time regularly. If you want to change from foolish speech to wisdom, if you want to become more and more like Jesus, you need to spend time with him to allow that relationship to transform your heart, to allow it to sow seeds of kindness and graciousness, of love, of peace in you instead of what's already there. I would encourage you, if you find that you are regularly participating in foolish speech to evaluate how you are doing with your spiritual practices. By spending time in prayer, talking with God, having a relationship with him, by spending time studying, memorizing, ingesting the word of God, reading your Bible, we allow him to speak into our lives. By participating in other elements, whether it's serving, uh, whether it's fasting, whether it's, it's giving with generosity, we allow the work of God, we allow as we focus on him, that to reframe our minds and our hearts so that hopefully our speech follows suit. What I'd invite you to do this week is to evaluate your words and the time that you spend with Jesus. And as you evaluate that, look for where there's weakness, look where you're falling short, and dig in, dive into that, and trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to do a good work within you. And yes, you'll never be perfect on this side of eternity, but you will be utilized by God in expanding his kingdom through your words and actions. You will be blessed and enriched and filled up with everything his Holy Spirit wants to begin to bring into your life. So let's take time now. Let's stop and pray. I'm going to leave a moment of just silence for you to turn to God and ask him for forgiveness of what you need to be forgiven of. And then what I would encourage you to do is pray along with me, just inviting God to work in your heart to change your tongue, to bring him glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it is just so abundantly clear how often I fail, how we fail as your people in speaking with wisdom, of exemplifying you with our words, with the way we speak to others and about others. 
God, will you forgive us for where we have done wrong in that regard, where we have done what you find detestable? God, would you allow us to become more like you? God, we commit ourselves to changing what is in our heart, to considering what comes out of our mouth so that we would be better examples. Lord, as imperfect as we will ever be, that we would be better representations of you for your namesake. God, I pray that this change wouldn't take place just because we feel guilty, just because it's something we've done wrong. But Lord, it would come out of, that it would flow out of the wonderful things that you have done in our world, in our lives, in our hearts. And Lord, God, that it would be all done for celebration of you. Lord God, I pray that you would be brought glory through your people here at Emmanuel, wherever we are in our our homes or wherever we're watching this, as we go to work, as we uh, consider our activities, as we go on vacations, all those things, Lord God, in all those places where where our words line up with our hearts, which are lined up with you. God, we need you. We love you. We want to celebrate you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.